welcome to Groovecast, the podcast for the rhythm section with me, Ashley Walker. And me, Charlie Smith. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about tutors and uh, sort of the books that we might have used um, in our musical upbringing, DVDs, that kind of thing. Uh, And I know I'm going to hand over to Charlie. We talked a little bit about the online learning and you know what you can do with that but um so we're kind of going down a different route today aren't we yeah this is a little bit more of the of what we actually did you know and because I, I suppose we're both sort of of that pre-online learning generation yeah you know we, you know youtube wasn't as a, wasn't as around when i was growing up as it probably is now and probably the same for you um but yeah so i thought we'd just have a dip dip back and look at look at some of the you know tutors resources you know back when resources were a physical thing mm-hmm. um uh and some of the other bits and pieces we've gotten up to on our uh yeah on our way to being professional musicians which is hopefully hopefully interesting and m- maybe gives people some insight so yeah so i suppose starting with sort of main tutors people who we've studied with for i suspect the longest uh in my case obviously uh, be paul smith my granddad who i started with as pretty much as soon as i could hold a pair of sticks um and you know took lessons at home for for the first few years then in secondary school i was having half an hour with him a week uh in school which was nice, um, uh, and then even after finishing all of that, still taking odd lessons with him, you know, serious lessons, not just hanging out talking about drums and or doing gigs together. So <laughs> you know, and even now and again, he'll come when he comes around the house to visit and uh, and stuff. He'll you know if there's some new bit of gear or something, he'll sit down and have a play. And I'm always very conscious as to what he's doing because I think, oh, that's probably something I should be working on. You know, little little things that he pulls out, or that he's been hammering through on in his own practice. I think, oh, yeah, that's quite clever. I, I, I better uh, <laughs> better put some homework in. So yeah, so he's sort of been probably my my primary tutor for the for the longest time. You know, the best part of in regular lessons, probably the best part of ten fifteen years. Mm. that that I I was really in depth you know taking on his wisdom uh and and that kind of thing so so yeah he was sort of the the main one and 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 now you know as i said i still still take stuff from him even not in a lesson context but doing gigs together you know there's still stuff i'll see him play or or ways that i'll see him work and i think okay yeah that's something to stick in the back of my mind for something you know for another time mm. so yeah there's that kind of thing i mean what about you um i know you've had a you know one main bass tutor for a long time so let's maybe dive into that yeah i think it'll have been um 10 years this uh, september i think that i started having lessons with my bass teacher paul who was the bass player in my dad's band for years and uh did the ships and all that kind of thing so and I, I still have lessons, uh, you know, with him now. Although they mainly consist of a gossip and just playing through some tunes, um, but yeah, it's it's been 
him and i think it's interesting with musicians and particularly musicians who have then gone into the business professionally um speaking to him i found that uh most musicians have if they have it's hardly they've hardly ever had sort of the in school perry teaching they've mostly gone outside to get their private lessons that kind of thing and for me when i was at secondary school i had you know the handful of perry teaching and uh and you know lessons in school for bass lessons but um i know my dad and people like that they all did the private thing and um but yeah with paul it was it's yeah started 10 years ago started with the peter gunn theme and um you know i'm hoping to kind of progress from that this week uh, <laughs> but yeah and then now it's i'm it's the same as you always looking seeing things he does and um still to this day trying to you know see if there's anything there that i can take away and yeah um and now it's like i say mostly we'll just look at something a band like steely dan and he'll get the dots for about 10 of the tunes and we'll just play through them and then see what i did well and what i didn't do well and um sort of industry practice i guess we could say yeah the real world stuff <laughs> yeah, i, I suppose dan. that's what that's what i all that's what i always liked about my granddad's teaching was everything was firmly planted real world you know he wasn't really bothered about let's do rock school grade one or any of that it was all here's the stuff you're going to actually need to know you know mm. let's not worry about you know practicing the same three pieces for the next six months of your life until you can play them perfectly without even looking at the page it it was all let's look at stuff that's actually relevant you know whether it was big band stuff latin tunes you know all all the the interesting stuff funk studies you know when, when i look back over some of the stuff because to be honest i kept pretty much all of the stuff he's ever given me you know in one way or another or i i you know since bought the books or or any of that and i look back over some of it now with students of my own and, yeah. it, and it brings it all back you know sitting in that sitting in that school practice room when i was 12 trying to rack my head around some some little solo figure you know somewhere or a little little written fill that's really giving me you know giving me a hard time and that you know endless repetition but that i think it really that style of teaching and someone who is very much real world planted really set me on a course and i'm probably sure it's the same for you it got you in the in the the headspace for the gigs that you ended up yeah ended up doing it's interesting you say that about you teaching uh kids and sort of reusing some of the stuff it's because i've only done you know a couple of sort of little teaching bits for kids and but it, and even people who just ask me the adults who want to get into playing bass and they ask for you know, what how to get started and i just go straight back to paul telling me don't go ahead of the first five frets learn all the notes there then you know in a couple thing a month's time we went moved on from the to the next five frets and um and you know and with acoustic guitar i've still got the little thing you did of the, what the fretboard looks like and where your fingers will be for a g and where it'll be for a c and um yeah it's so it's the same thing for me for sure yeah it, yeah it, it is it's i think that's one consistency I've seen with all of the the best teachers that I've had is they've all been very much. This is real stuff, you know. This yeah. isn't. This isn't. 
we're, ju- we're not just studying from a book because we should study from a book. We're doing it because this, 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 and this, you know. Yeah, and for um, me, like you were saying about the real world stuff, it was certainly the same in my lessons and even to the point of um, which, you know, you can't always get from musicians who are just teachers or kind of mostly planted in the teaching world. Um, but like we'll be playing through certain pieces with a really you know hard rhythm or some or a dynamic and he'd stop me and say for him that jumps out as if it was on a band scenario or an orchestra scenario everyone will be playing that together so if you're the one that's out I've been there you'll look like an idiot so make you like that bar you'd practice that bit and you know endings and just yeah just really great industry advice always okay you've only got with the steely dance stuff or tower of power so imagine this is a rehearsal scenario you've got you know 30 seconds to look over these where are you looking this first few bars and the ending any tricky bits jumping out at you that's what you've got time for yeah here we go then and straight into it so i'm sure it's the same with you well absolutely you know that whole thing of especially sight reading and stuff is what do you find first and it's you know find the roadmap find where the the repeats are where the coder is the you know any signs bits and pieces you're going to have to jump back on because that's the stuff that when you are reading through it and you're focusing on the bars that's the stuff you'll miss yeah you know you'll miss the repeat sign at the end of the line that means you've got to do it all again (laughs) you know and you'll keep going on and then you'll think oh now i'm really lost yeah you know or you know know where that ds sign is so that when you get to the you know when you get to the dsl coder you know exactly where you've got to hop back to you're not flicking through pages thinking Oh, is it on the second page or the first page? <laughs> um, you know, that, all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, it, you know, all the real world side of that, of, you know, and, and especially looking at stuff where it's like, right, here's a here's a big band chart. There's the figures. Which ones do you play? Which ones don't you play? You know, learning how to m- make those educated guesses back then was was really useful and certainly helped when I got into big band playing later on and and had to put all that into <laughs> into use and, and especially the way you know as we know that big bands rehearsal big bands work where it's just pull out a tune play it put it back yeah you know you had to be on your guard for anything to come out of the pad mm. uh and Again, like you say, you don't want to be the one to hold the band back. You want to be the you want to be the you know as in with it as you can, and stick with everybody else. Yeah, and as we both know, and I'm sure we've talked about before, you can't in a band you can't have a bad drummer or certainly a bad drummer or even a bad bass player. And in that big band scenario, there's no you know that's not exactly like being the fourth trumpet as a young musician coming up. And no disrespect to the fourth trumpet players out there. But, no, but um, it will, anything you, know, you can't be going in. Yeah, you can't be going in as a drummer and you know messing things up and not being good enough. It's a big sort of a high stakes thing, especially when you know members of the band, like I'm sure you would have done. Yeah, and and then, but it is. It's I always think of it as as a sectional thing as well. Of that, you know, there's five saxes or there's four trombones or four four trumpets, five trumpets. And you go if one of those slips something up. They've got the other three, the other four to, to kind of knock them back into line, but in the rhythm section you've got one bass player, one guitarist, one keyboard player, one drummer. If yeah. you go wrong, people notice. 
Yeah. You know, people are going to notice, and they're, they're not going to try and shift the blame. You know, yeah, because I don't know if you found it in your scenario, in your uh, big band experiences, but they always don't like the guitarists and the bass players because they've got amps that they can turn up at any time. Yeah, uh, you know, but then on the flip side, they go, "Oh, if it's an upright bass, it's too quiet." <laughs> yeah, sometimes, and you go, "Well, take your pick. What do you want?" <laughs> um, but yeah, that's always that's always interesting, and now, of course, now most pianos are electric as well. In that sort of situ- situation, so you've got to, you've got to kind of get that balance. And it's one thing you do find in some of the big bands is people who don't like turning up. Yeah. And so sometimes it feels like they're just not there. <laughs> you, you know, sometimes you just have to say, "Oh, can you turn up a little bit? I can't hear you. <laughs> I'm sat right next to you." <laughs> so yeah, it's it kind of, yeah. There's a bit of that goes on, especially as you say in those in the big band things. But, but yeah, you, I always just sort of think. When you when you're on that, you've got to be on your guard because there is there is just you doing your bit. You know, there's not three other trumpets who are doing the same thing or similar thing. You know, or a similar line. It's just yeah. just the bass player doing that bit, or there's just the drummer holding that bit. Yeah. You know? So, but yeah. So anyway, let's move it on slightly from our sort of main tutors to look at some of the other people who we've kind of studied with. Uh, you know whether it was for one lesson or a short course or you know sort of dipping in and out I mean the the obvious place for me to start with this was when I was in primary school and I had a, a great drummer come in to teach um, a guy called Tim Hillsden mm. who at the time was was a young a young drummer from um, Middlesbrough way I think uh, and he was coming in doing like delivering like a like kind of a rock school type thing of you know they'd get a guitar teacher a bass teacher and a a drum teacher in give them 15 20 kids and be like right give us a concert at the end of term yeah it was that kind of teaching you know so it wasn't one-to-one or anything it was it was very much groups um but i was really lucky to get to 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 have Tim teaching and you know I'll have been about seven or something then so I wasn't very old at all but he was he was great and also I think I think he sort of cottoned on that I you know I was taking it pretty seriously and wanted to work and he was giving me little extra things or you know I remember one day he brought in a Ludwig Black Beauty and said oh have a look at this this is this is a you know this is the snare or whatever you know and little things like that that make you feel like you know there's there's a bit of possibility out there even at that age you think oh this is something i can take yeah. a bit seriously um so yeah tim was great and i'm still in touch with him now he's he's since gone on to much bigger and better things than teaching in primary school uh in <laughs> billingham but um you know now he's he's been working with Albert Lee and all you know touring around America and all that and but he's you know it was weird we went for a me him and my granddad went out for a coffee uh just after lockdown or something and you know obviously visually he's, he's changed a lot you know he's got loads more hair now and all that but but it was the same guy who I remember when I was seven that that was weird you know <laughs> 
Um, and then sort of the other tutors who I've had coming and going uh, were, were all pretty much at, at music college. So when I was in London, um, you know, tutors were on rotation pretty much every every term, if not every every year. So I, I got to study with oh, a couple of different people. You know, um, in my first couple of years at uni, it was the likes of Danny Maloney, who's a, a really great theatre player. Um, Matt Hector, who worked with um, Iggy Pop, who was like a real, you know, meat and potatoes, really heavy, laying it down, rock and roll kind of player. It was great, you know. I took loads from him because that's not my style at all. Mm. You know, I'm not, I'm not a really heavy kind of player. But the way that he was playing was kind of, I always thought was really cool. So I took a lot from from him. Um, yeah, who else did I get when I was when I was at music college? Um, you know, getting towards my latter years of it, it was. Um, Toby Drummond, who's one of the like the West End players, he took a lot of my lot of my lectures, uh, and the, sort of the main one for the final year was a guy called Neil Bullock, who's a, a jazz player, f- you know, from Birmingham, and interestingly, I'd seen Neil play when I was about ten, doing a doing a big band gig uh, at a drum show in Bir- in Coventry or Birmingham or somewhere. And you know there was him and a couple of other drummers on. It's a great show, you know, and I remembered it. And so all these years later, you know, eight, eight or eight or ten years later, there I was having weekly ninety-minute lectures one-to-one with him, <laughs> going over jazz and brush techniques and all that. And, and I was like, oh, you know, this is this is a, a bit different. And yeah, Neil's great. And I, again, I took lots and lots and lots of stuff from from him and uh, uh, just his approach to playing because he's got such a, a smooth style which I really liked you know he's got a real flow to his playing so um so yeah that's just a, just a, a few selected ones of of my time at ACM I mean obviously there was was way more um you know people who were great with all the modern stuff with Ableton and click tracks that was all very fascinating and then you know guys who were more into the funk or more into the the pop gigs and, and everything so yeah there was i mean i got a, a vast variety and i'm just plucking a few names out so <laughs> i won't bore i won't bore you with too many details but uh i'll throw back over to you because i know you've had a few uh one-off lessons and 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 little bits with a, with a few big name guys yeah well the one we were thinking of this episode and everything the the one that jumped out for me was a, a lesson i had Again, probably, well, I guess about nine years ago now with uh, Lawrence Cottle. And um, the little story behind that, which I think is quite funny, is, um, very long story short, my dad and myself were down there in London uh, for a few days. I think we might have been on a bit of a holiday thing. Uh, I'd been playing for not very long, and my dad was trying to find somebody who could give me a, like, a master class or a lesson, so, like, a big player. And we went to this little jam or sort of do in a pub. Uh, and my dad was speaking to a friend of his and said, you know, we're looking for somebody really good who, you know, is there any names that jump out to you? And as he said that, Lawrence Cottle walked in the pub and the guy said, yeah, him. And he said, <laughs> oh, my dad didn't know of Lawrence. And he said, yeah, that's Lawrence Cottle. And he was playing trombone at this pub. 
um, for this jam. He, he said, him, he's a trombone player. And he, he said, oh, yeah, he plays the trombone, he plays that as well. You know, as well. He flipping just tears this thing apart, just is awesome. Uh, and so we got talking to him, and my dad said, you know, could my son come and have a lesson with you? And he said, oh, yeah, come over, you know, a few days later, whatever it was. So I did. And um, he was so generous with his time and uh, very patient and... As I say, I don't even play in not very long by that point. The first thing he did was whip all the strings off my bass. He said, they're a bit rusty, aren't they? Because I think he changes his strings before every gig near enough. Um, so he whipped the fastest I've seen anybody do that. You know, two minutes later, I've got these new strings, tunes them up, yeah, close enough, gives me my bass back. Um, and he told me, some, told me, you know, I needed to get my nails cut. Uh, he said, you know, if you're going to be a bass player, he said, your nails are too long. Uh, he said you need to get a five string because I didn't have one at the time, which I did not long after that. And um, he taught me uh, the technique. I think it's called the floating th uh, thumb or something like that, where um, you know you every time you kind of do this and your thumb holds down the string, and you use your fingers to do you know like if you, your thumb will be on the E string, so you play the A with your fingers so it stops all the ringing, which I had a lot of at the time. And, you know, just bits of advice that I still use to this day. Always practice with a click. And any exercises, he had them all queued up there on Logic or whatever the program was he was using on his computer. He just said, okay, well, and then he said, do you know anything? You know, what do you know? And I I'd just learned Chameleon at the time. So I was, all I knew was just those, that two, little dung, 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 dung. And I just was going around that for I don't know how long with him just jamming over the top with chords and, and afterwards, I was like, I had no idea who he was, obviously. We got on YouTube afterwards and was like, oh, my God. Um, and so that was that. And a few years later, I had the chance to do a, a master class with Lawrence and uh, Simon Goulding, sadly, no longer with us. Um, but that was a fantastic experience. And Simon did his bit uh, of the, you know, the Latin American stuff and the different type signatures. Uh, did some awesome solos, which again just jaw jaw dropping uh and then on the last day of this master class um lawrence came in it was meant to be a two-hour master class he said i need four hours so he did we did two hours of break and then another two and the first thing he did was get us to all get our bases out he said no 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 you're not sitting there watching me get your bases out he taught us all these exercises and i know we're going to talk a little bit about booklet uh sort of books and that kind of thing and it, you know, there's not many that I've had for bass, but one of the ones that I use is the booklet that he gave from that day and the exercises and stuff that he did. It was so, um, you know, almost back to basics, but he's the fundamentals and you can't do any of the fancy stuff without nailing that. And none of us had nailed it. So, <laughs> yeah, those were the two. Those are two things. Oh, well, yeah, it sounds like that you got a lot from that. If if nothing else, you got some new new bass strings and uh <laughs> yeah. and a nice and a nice uh, set of set of finely cut fingernails. Yeah. But uh yeah, so if nothing else, Lawrence Cottle was my bass tech for a day is what you can yeah. uh, what you can say. It's like getting a brain surgeon to cut your hair. <laughs> <laughs> Mad. Yeah, I suppose it is. But um <laughs> But yeah, so that's uh, yeah, really cool, and obviously, Sai uh, was a was an incredible player, and you know, I've got some of his albums which he sent me a few years ago, which are over on my 
CD racks over there, and they still get spun every now and again. Um, because he was, he, he, I mean, you could tell he loved his, uh, loved his Latin music, and was was uh, was big into all of that. And he was a great percussionist as well. Actually, you know, he learnt all of the Afro-Cuban Latin percussion as well as as well as playing bass and also being a great songwriter. You know, it's like. And yeah, I got I got the chance to see Sai play a number of times, you know, in different settings, and yeah, every time, just even as a drummer, I was I was blown away by him. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was uh, yeah, it's a shame that he's not a not about anymore. But yeah, glad that you got the chance to study with him a little bit while uh, while you could, you know. So yeah, I mean, let's uh, hop into some of the. Uh, I don't know. Should we go into books or clinics first what do you think Since um, we're already on the clinic subject book. yeah go on clinics yeah okay change your mind um <laughs> so yeah so I, I, yeah i don't know how much you've done the the base clinics thing or but i sort of when i was planning some of this i, I sort of threw clinics but also seeing sort of the, the smaller intimate concerts into that as well so uh, you know, I saw I saw a couple of clinics at a couple of at, at, at the drum shows. I remember seeing Thomas Lang doing a clinic years and years and years ago with a double bass drum Roland electronic kit, playing you know four different polyrhythms with each hand and foot, and going, you know, this guy's off the scale, you know. And and you know and even if you walk away from something like that, going, I'm never gonna ever try to do that or want to do it or need to do it. You still take some stuff out out of it of going, oh well, the, the stuff he was doing with his feet was quite clever, or the way that he put those patterns one over the other was was pretty good. But the the, the sort of the best couple of clinics I've that st- stick out for me was I saw Simon Phillips do a clinic, um, or about six seven years ago now i think it was the manchester drum show back when that was a thing uh you know obviously they wheeled simon's kit on and it was the the full toto monster uh you know (laughs) double bass about nine toms and all all of it and he he sat and played two two or three tunes you know talked a little bit about his approach and his open-handed playing and you know not crossing his hands and all that and then took some questions, and he he was really fascinating. Not not only just from a from a playing point of view, but also the, his approach to things and the way that he thinks about things. Not just as a player, but as a studio engineer and producer as well. I was like, okay, mm. this guy's got yeah, he's got he had some different ideas on like drum sound, you know. And then seeing him in Ronnie's with his with his band a few years later, you could hear, you, you know. It's like he had no gaffer tape on the kit at all. It was all wide open, ringing toms, and you would you, honestly you heard him, you heard the kit, you know, as he was tapping around before the gig, and you thought this is going to sound awful, you know, in this small room with these big, wide open, ringing drums. And I think they only put bass and snare mics and maybe one or two overheads over the kit. You know, they didn't mic any of the toms. And then as soon as they launched into it, he sort of went. Oh, that's why you're doing that. That you know, because the minute that there's all that other musical information there, suddenly all all the ring just disappears, and you just hear this really pure sounding kit. And I thought, okay, 
because I remember reading in an interview later on with with someone who'd been to one of his shows like that, and, and they said, "Oh yeah, I sat bit." You know, Simon told me to sit behind the kit and tap, and I said I thought it sounded terrible from the back, but when I stood out the front and heard him play it, it was a totally different ball game. So, so yeah, Simon's clinic was really good. I also saw a clinic with Ralph Roll from um, Chic, from Chic. Yeah, uh, he came into ACM when I was when I was there, and he did a, like an afternoon clinic, which was which was again fascinating, and you know talking about his little bit of incorporating using his left hand to play um electronic samplers and stuff while playing a groove and keeping it all locked in that was really good and then he finished the clinic by uh by playing and singing uh let's dance by david bowie which was really cool which is obviously what he does in the yeah yeah in the Nile rogers on the on the gig you know um and so yeah he sort of yeah you know this room of this room of 60 70 music students bopping along to <laughs> to him you know as he's getting everyone to shout and clap along and all you know it was really interesting it was very much a it was drum clinic meets concert really it was it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't one nor the other yeah. you know he was he was very open about about his playing and you know he really was encouraging loads and loads and loads of questions and stuff and he probably made it run quite a bit over time by doing that but it was it was so worth it because it was yeah he just he just knew exactly where it was at so yeah i think those were the main two clinics and then the most recent one i I, that you could kind of call a clinic was i saw uh neil wilkinson who's become a good friend uh do a clinic at the Simon John's drum show in Coventry just later on last year where he was sort of pulling apart um uh a record called Drum Spectacular which is a Kenny Clare Ronnie Stevenson double drumming with a big band which was done in about I think in the early 60s um and they were they were right really at the height of their playing there Kenny Clare was was a, an amazing session player you know with Shirley Bassey and Tom Jones and Neil was just dissecting some of the stuff they'd played on that and it was it was incredible but also looking at some of the stuff he uses in in his playing you know when he's done his James Morrison gigs or he's just been depping on Strictly Come Dancing for mm-hmm. for a, you know for a few shows and, and stuff and it's little things that he uses because yeah he's one of those for me he's just in he's in that Lawrence Cottle kind of realm of just being top of their game first call session player mm. but also a really nice guy which is always nice but uh yeah so that that kind of wraps up for me i don't know if you've been to any base clinics or any anything like that that you uh you want to dip into no i've uh yeah you're ringing my brain there i don't racking my brain thinking of those things no I, I don't think i've ever done any um i've done some of the online things and um you know, I've and I've seen a lot of the, um, you know, as we've mentioned quite a bit, so I won't talk too much more about him. But Lawrence's clinics online and that kind of thing. But um, no, I think they're amazing opportunities for people like us to be able to get a glimpse into that world and you know what we aspire to be. Yeah, get a few lessons in. <laughs> um, but yeah, I suppose what you where you would dip back in though would be having seen a few of your probably sort of your heroes play in that 
very close environment. I know you've seen, you know, we see so Marcus Miller at Ronnie's, and I know you've seen Victor Wooden and stuff as well. So yeah, I've been very lucky to be able to see, you know, all of those guys that were my heroes: Marcus Miller, Victor Wooden, John Patitucci, and you know Lawrence um, with his Jacko. Uh, the Jacko show he did at Ronnie's and Joe Dart is another one who I got to see. So, yeah, I mean, it's just an education itself. <laughs> well, yeah, some of the, some of those gigs are more of an education than even a clinic would be because mm. you just you're seeing it happen in the moment with you know just and you and you know that especially when it's like a Ronnie's thing and there's no filming or anything, you just know that only anyone in that room is going to experience yeah. that gig. At that moment, you know. Yeah. I know we we heard about this at the the Steve Gadd band gigs in November. I know someone who went to a couple of them and said, "Oh, you know, you'd be surprised how different the set list was from gig to gig. You know, it was probably fifty percent the same, mm. and also how they played. You know, some some shows they were a bit more, a bit more, sort of, not, not quiet, but." you know a bit more laid back and a little bit reserved in what they were playing you know sort of conserving their energy a little bit and then some of the shows they were really going for it and getting a bit more into it. i know I, I was kind of glad we went the show we went, went and saw was the very last one because i think that's when they were sort of they'd done five shows in three days to that point and this sixth one it was just like right anything that's left on anything that's left in the tank is just going to be yeah uh, it's going to be done now, so they, um, yeah, it was good to see them, all of them in that band. You know, it was um, just all of them really going for it. So yeah, from clinics, let's get into some of the the books. I know we we mentioned you mentioned a, a couple of uh, the the stuff that Lawrence gave you at that the base course and stuff. Um, I suppose if I quickly just start the book that definitely was sort of the biggest part for for me was um Dave Hassel's uh graded course for drum kit uh one and two which um is not to be confused with grade one or grade two in any other setting. These are very, very different. Um Dave Hassel was is obvious it was and still is a, a renowned tutor from uh, Manchester way and you know teach I think he lectures at, at the Royal Northern College of Music, if I'm not mistaken. But taught, he's taught a lot of really, really great players and people I know. Uh, and I think he made did those books in probably the late eighties, early nineties. Um, and all the, all of them are handwritten charts of a, of a style, you know. So you'll have funk one or um, mambo. Uh, mambo fast, you know. It's all. It's, they haven't got daft names. They've just got what what they say on the tin, you know. And there's, yeah, the, you know, the, they're like two bibles of them with with CDs that were recorded by a, a real four piece band: keys, bass, guitar, drums, uh, you know, or whatever. Um, and yeah, they were what my granddad started me on when I was at secondary school. We we started on the on the grid on the on the book one. Uh, and you know, looking at you know rock slow or whatever it was, and you know going through them, and and some of them were really, you know, they they'd be easy and enough with a groove, but then you had either some really 
naughty written fills or some really sort of clever figures that were there just to completely trip you up halfway through and you'd, you'd have to sit and really work out what was going on and and, and all all the, the little bits and pieces so they that first book was you know i thought that was hard and then i got to university and the first i think within the first half term of university one of my drum lecturers was like right we're going to look at this tune and sure enough it was from the second book i was like right here we go if i thought book one was hard book two was a real kick up the backside uh we looked at i think the mambo one of the mambo tracks from the, the second book and it is like it is like a an absolute racehorse going off it is ridiculous but you know to sit and play anything like that was it gave a massive sense of achievement when you actually got got from start to finish without completely fudging something up um yeah. never mind playing it nicely but yeah that was like that was my introduction to really chart reading and really getting my head around jazz charts and show charts and all that kind of stuff because they were you know they were handwritten which is always nice to see but some of them were a little bit spidery in places with some of the figures but in in the mm. in a not in a bad way but in the way of that's what it's like in the real world because I know you'll have seen pages like I have where it's just all over the shop the way it's written out and those books were the absolute best for sort of for me at least for preparing for that and it was yeah and I still still as I say I still read some of the charts in them myself now especially the second book uh, I'll still go back and look over some of the stuff and I still teach out of the first book you know um, that's with some of my more advanced students that's a book that gets pulled out quite often to be like right let's we've been looking at funk rhythms or whatever for a few weeks let's put some of those into into context and actually get mm -hmm. get something out of it so so yeah dave hassel was yeah was and still is probably my favorite books but the other book that that has really sort of changed the way that i play over the last probably over the last four or five years especially during the lockdowns was this one which i'm going to get out because i've got i've got a few copies of this because it's no longer in print and it's modern techniques <laughs> for the progressive drummer by max abrams and this is this was published in i think in the 60s and 70s by premier drums uh, Max Abrams was was another one of those renowned teachers who was uh, sort of taught taught a lot of the pros. I think he taught Simon Phillips as a youngster, um, and he taught Neil Wilkinson and uh, a load of other big name players uh, who were students of sort of the of the sixties, seventies, and and eighties. Uh, and this was his his book. You know, this is this was what he he wrote and and some of the stuff in it is it's it's not tunes it's all techniques it's all you know here's a page of stuff you can do with paradiddle uh you know paradiddles or uh, six drop rolls or rudiment stuff but also brush techniques jazz independence all that sort of stuff um and it was definitely it was uh, neil wilkinson who introduced me to this book because he'd been taught by Max, and it was it's been his Bible for forever, and 
some of the stuff in early lockdown when we were doing some of the, the, the drum hangs, he was playing some stuff out of this and I thought, right, I've got to get my hands on, on a copy of it. And basically the only way to find it is if you're lucky on eBay, they pop up now and again <laughs> because they it hasn't been in print probably since the 80s. Um, so I managed to scour, I think I've got three copies of it now. So I keep a copy in my teaching bag. I've got a copy here and a copy elsewhere. But it is it is just the absolute best, and I'm you know just read his little um, his little opening statement of how to use this book is just is is an incredible thing. Um, and but he there's a paragraph at the end which I know Neil always refers to, um, which I'll quickly read out. Which is there's no shortcuts to success. The only way to proficiency is to practice with great patience and with constant repetition. Uh, <laughs> in this way, you will make sure and steady progress, both with your reading and your playing. None of us were geniuses. We all had to start at the bottom of the ladder and gradually work our way up. So do not be discouraged if your progress seems slow. Take my advice. It is only those who have the patience to do the simple things perfectly ever achieve the skill to do the difficult things easily. How true is that? <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's Max Abrams' book. And that is that is my go-to, especially if I'm just sitting working on a practice pad. That is the go-to. And the other go-to, which is a much more recent publication, is that one, Gadamant's, <laughs> which is Steve Gadd's book of um, stuff. That, again, stuff he was playing on during the lockdown he wrote a book of all the exercises that he was working on in his downtime while you know obviously he couldn't tour and couldn't do sessions so yeah those between those two books and then the, the dave hassel books that's basically my entire drum education um <laughs> you know or the best bits of it anyway um but yeah why don't you uh after my sort of long-winded chat there you, you can go into your base pamphlet a little bit more that uh and just you know, maybe if you want to t talk about any of the the real areas that I think it was Lawrence who wrote that bit out that that really have stuck with you. Yeah, other than that, um, when we're thinking of this episode, uh, you know, I've nowhere near as an impressive impressive as collection as you, um, and nothing that I could say. I had, I think, the first base book I had was a Beatles book which i used to death to be fair um of like the early bass lines i think please please me saw a standing there or on there and then the only other books other than lawrence's booklet um were my upright bass studies the samandal book and the botticini one which i think are two of the sort of go-to um sort of things and uh and then i have a chet bark cello suites for um for electric bass book and bait and also Beethoven things for written out for electric bass so uh but when it comes to Lawrence's stuff um yeah a lot of you know the when I was saying about the fundamentals and it really was uh, to start with just something as simple as finding you know two f's on your e string and find two notes the same name on a string but being able to go straight to them without you know, just kind of going, sliding around and trying to find it, you know, learning all the notes. And he said it might sound stupid or simple, but he said that's, you know, enough to 
that's like a, year, a life's work there or or just a scale like learning all the scales is a life's work kind of thing and in the booklet there were a lot of exercises um at the time i was really into jaco pistorius's stuff and he said well if you want to get into that stuff you need to you know a lot of people are focused on your left hand and the hand that's holding down the notes he said you they the reason they fail is because they don't focus on your right hand and um he said you need to be changing finger with every note even when it doesn't feel natural because for bass players if anyone's listening you know when you're playing octaves or something like that i mean generally you're playing with your thumb and either your middle finger or your other finger um but if you're playing with your two fingers it's natural for you to use your middle finger to go for the higher notes because it's a bigger stretch and your other fingers your middle fingers longer but he said no you need to get out of that you know whatever you should always be changing fingers with every note so there were so many practices and and uh techniques and things for that and on his in his booklet and that was like the first 20 pages of it would you know almost were just dedicated to that and different time signatures just with the same uh exercise um so yeah i never got past that page no um <laughs> yeah that that was the main thing and then soloing there was stuff to do with scales so i used that for years and the brilliant thing about that course was they filmed everything and put it on youtube and so for the people who took part part in the the master's class they had access to the video and actually with think when we knew we were doing this episode the other day i put it on and kind of just, i hadn't watched it probably since we did it and um yeah he mentions my name a few times so i was like yes <laughs> you were in yeah it's funny you <laughs> mentioned some of the the cello studies and stuff because i know that's something i think steve pierce touched on when we had him on a little bit of how much he doesn't look at bass books but he's he was you know he's all about you know if he's doing his upright stuff or playing he's he's got arpeggios for cello or whatever whatever etudes you know that that he's been using for ages so yeah it's it's funny how that's got a very very direct link between the the cello and the bass in in that sense and yeah you know sort of bringing it around from what you were saying with the the, the videos i suppose that's a good way to finish finish this little topic of of the video side of stuff i know when i when i was growing up it was dvds were with the with the the method of taking that kind of information in i know i i i used to get my hands on all sorts of our, our local music shop had a great sort of rotating stand with all the dvds on of various you know master classes or uh instructional videos from different players so i, I picked up a few of them back then um the ones that I suppose stand out. There was a great Simon Phillips one, which is so nineteen eighties. It's incredible. Uh, you know, he's still long hair and you know, he's got the full uh, Tama branded leggings and all that on. You know, like very <laughs> and a, and, a, uh, and a sweatband and all that. And it, you know, it's you look at it, and it looks so dated now when you watch it back. But actually, what he's talking about, all of the the stuff that he's on about with his double bass drum stuff and um some of his shuffles and everything is it's still relevant with the way he plays and so i yeah i remember getting hold of that one and there's a steve gad in session one as well which is just it's just a gad masterclass of of, of the best best sense um than that one I've, I've watched many times and then there was also a um 
there's, there's a few I've got my hands on. There's a Todd Suckerman Methods and Mechanics, which I I really need to go back and dive through again because there was some really good information that probably when I was when I first watched it uh, when I was about thirteen, fourteen, I probably didn't take as much from it as as I would if I watched it now. Um, yeah. And I, you know, as you know, I was a big Neil Peart fan for a, a long time and still am. Uh, and his his instructional DVDs were, were great as well. He did one on drum soloing, uh, one on uh, coming up with drum parts for an album, you know, for new songs, which was quite interesting, which sort of touched on all of his studies with the late Freddie Gruber, who was a American jazz drummer, sort of teacher extraordinaire. Um, mm. And the... But the one that I did make a note of to sort of mention in this was... Uh, was the the one he did about live performance and in in his sort of approach to touring and rehearsing for a tour and and how he goes about you know bringing bringing recorded parts to a live stage, uh, which was they call it taking center stage and that was that was a really a really good one um, and Joe Bergamini who's a great uh, drum teacher and educator uh, American guy. He did all of the uh, interviews for that, and he did all the transcriptions uh, and wrote a book that went alongside it, which handily I've also got within arm's reach. You can see how often some of these books get used just by how close I have them. <laughs> but um, but that was the that's the book, and there was a, a DVD that I think the DVD's got about six hours worth of viewing on it, you know. Um, but what he did in this was all the s- songs that they went through on the DVD, the entire set list of the of the tour, all of the songs are all fully transcribed. <laughs> so you can actually sit through it and, you know, me being a... I suppose the average viewer of that probably isn't a reader of drum drum score, but for me, I could, you know, it's it's great to actually sit and dive into some of those parts with a bit more of a... Ma- a bit more, bit more of a magnifying glass than maybe the average Neil Peart fan or Rush listener would would actually do with them. So, so yeah, Joe Bergamini was did a did an incredible job on that because um, they are they are so accurate and so well put together transcriptions. Because some of some of those transcription books, I'm always a bit dubious of the the probably eighty five percent correct. And there's a little bit where they were like, mm, you, you could read it a few different ways or write it a few different ways. But that one's pretty, that's pretty damn close. <laughs> so, yeah, so I don't, yeah. Know, I don't know if you went down the, probably, you, you're, you're a bit younger than me. So you, you were probably <laughs> more the watching masterclasses and stuff on YouTube more than probably buying the DVDs. Like yeah, I well, used I... To. Yeah, I did think about that because although we're not that far apart in age, I did start playing quite a lot after you, uh, later than you. So, yeah, it was less, even then, less sort of DVDs, more YouTube stuff. But I've never, um, yeah, it's it's we've touched on before, you know, the the Scots bass lessons and the uh, talking bass and those things. There's so much out there, but I, I love watching the behind the scenes things of tours and. Like you say, there are there's a lot of great tools out there of um, you know transcriptions of live things. Um, I know Andrew Gold for I'm not sure if he still it still is on his website, but for years you could get a lot of the um, the scores to his his songs and 
um so all that stuff's there and most of the my um things that may have come from dvds or transcriptions have come from my bass lessons so a very nice way to yeah. bring it back round to yeah another record. another artist who definitely has got that same thing like you say about andrew gold was uh, lee rittner he, he's mm. got i think scores and transcriptions of pretty much every every album and they're all free to download from his website because i know because i plucked a few of them a few years ago for just to have a, a look through you know because he did a, a live dvd with simon phillips i think in tokyo with Lee Rittner and uh, Mike Stern and although there's no drum parts for any of these things, just getting hold of the, the score and working my way through it with my drummer's brain on, trying to suss out what all of these uh, harmonic things meant uh, was quite interesting and you know, it, and it meant that when I you know, if I turned to try and play some of those little pieces or some of those sections that I liked, I could put the score down and sort of be able to navigate the arrangement if nothing else you know obviously i couldn't try and emulate what simon phillips was doing on there because he was absolutely on fire on the on that recording but being able to actually follow the follow the arrangement was kind of kind of useful um and so yeah that's but yeah i'm I'm sure he's probably still doing but yeah lee rittner's website has has got loads and loads of stuff because i yeah i definitely took a few a few downloads from it back then but yeah, on that sort of note, I think that sort of wraps us up. We've covered everything from tutors to clinics to books, DVDs, one-off lessons, masterclasses, and everything in between. Yeah, it's been a good one. It has. It's been a, hopefully an educational one, which makes a change for us. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Groovecast, and we'll see you next time. See you then. <laughs>